Brilliant. Well, uh, I'm going to hand over to Sam, who's going to be picking up in our One Peter preaching series. Um, I have been so stirred so shaped, so encouraged by what God has been saying in 1 Peter as I've read the scriptures again and again as we've been preaching through it. Uh, And so I pray and will pray uh, that God will continue to speak to us. Um, Sam, can I pray for you? Father God, as we um, hear the word of God, uh, hear your words spoken this morning, I just pray that you would open our ears to hear, you would shape our hearts and change us, you would encourage us and bless us as you speak by your spirit through Sam. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Wonderful. Well, if you want to start turning to 1 Peter 3, we'll um, pick up the chapter where Luke finished off last week from verse 8 in a few short moments. But um, if you've been on this journey with us for a little while, you'll know uh, that we're working our way through this uh, letter. It's a, it's a wonderful letter, really challenging letter. It's designed uh, or directed towards uh, a number of established churches within the, the kind of Asian province, a, a really wide audience that would have reached Uh, and a number of individuals that have been scattered for various reasons to uh, various places. So exiles, people in a foreign land. And uh, we really pick up a bit of a theme uh, a bit this morning and across other weeks as well, where where we too are exiles. We're those who are uh, living for another kingdom uh, that is not this one. And uh, uh, there's a number of challenges that are associated with that that we're going to see today. Um, But... I think the verses that we have uh, for us this morning are particularly practical ones. They are uh, very much uh, detailed, practical uh, advice for us who would say that we follow Jesus and want to seek to follow him more in in our daily lives. And so I really want to encourage you, maybe there'll be one or two things that you pick up from the encouragement from Peter uh, where you want to take further and maybe look out for those. Like I said, they really are kind of take-homes, I think, uh, from this. I, I, one of the take-homes you could work on, just, just I'll put it out there. I mean, when Glow went out, they got a massive encouragement. Iona screaming with excitement, and you all look pretty glum. Um, so I'll just put that out there as, a, as something to work on for future weeks. Um, maybe we need Iona to sit and listen to us uh, uh, a bit more. But I have had some encouragement. Actually, I look at the back. Toddy, Toddy encouraged, said, obviously you must be preaching today because you're wearing a shirt. So, um, <laughs> so that, that was a lovely encouragement as well, Toddy. Thank you. Right, well, so we, we're going to get into this uh, letter, but um, there's a few things that we, we want to look at. So uh, I mentioned before that there's a, there's a lot of persecution that's going on, and uh, that's, some, that's a, a theme that's picked up in this letter. We've, we've looked at it already, I think, in chapter 2, verse 12. There was some stuff that was picked up on this, but, but we're going to go into chapter 4, where it's a bit more uh, obvious. But, but we're going to look at it a little bit today, about what it means to, to be a witness, uh, to be those who are well, a bit like what we've heard already from um, our friends in the Isle of Sheppey, where, where we're seeking to live out uh, a godly life. We're seeking to honour him with our lives, uh, and that will bring change. You know, Jesus talks about living like lights in, a, in the darkness. That, that is obvious, isn't it? You, people see that. And so um, uh, we want to look at what that looks like a little bit, but also how that attracts some opposition. And uh, Peter wants to give us some instruction around that. Yeah, let's have a look. So let me just say, finally, <clears throat> we've looked at some specific groups in this. We've looked at uh, Peter's kind of addressed specific areas. Uh, husbands and wives we looked at last week, for example. Uh, 
At the start of these verses, finally, all of you. Finally, all of you. And so I just wanted to say, but kind of before we kind of dive into this, uh, finally, all of us. All of us. This is relevant to us. And I'll explain a little bit more why I think that's a little bit challenging. But, but there's none of us that can kind of switch off from this. Peter's writing to a very specific uh, time, very specific issues, uh, but this is relevant for all of us uh, in our daily uh, existence. So let's look at uh, verses 8 onwards. I'm going to put it into three blocks and, um, and try and pick out some bits from, from each. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Well, we start off this passage a really quite a beautiful, lovely description of what community life looks like. Uh, you know, it's quite clear that Peter is not referring to the world here. He's talking to us. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're part of a church family, uh, here's some things that you should express. Here's the way in which community should look. Uh, so let's pick out some things. Unity of mind, a, a unity of... And that doesn't mean like a, a uniformity of thought, but it means that we are, we are generally unified in what we think, what we're aiming for. Sympathy to one another, brotherly love, tender heart and humility. Peter's directing the church to love one another in such a way that's so obvious. Now these are huge statements, aren't they? Massive things for us to consider. When we approach Sunday mornings, when we turn up with the various things that have happened throughout the morning, where we are uh, coming together in life groups, to think that we're with a gathered church and we should come with such humility such tender-heartedness, such sympathy for one another and love. I think this is just a wonderful uh, opening verse for us to uh, consider. There's internal value to that, definitely, isn't there? We would definitely notice the internal value, but, but in the context of these verses, there's also an external. There's something that um, is clearly going to be obvious. I've already said that, but Jesus said, uh, you, people will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. People will uh, see this group of believers, uh, see the way that we relate to one another, the way that we look, seek to love one another, and they'll say, gosh, you must have a saviour in heaven who's taught you this. That's what Jesus said, that there's something so obvious about the way that you relate to one another that is going to make people question. It's going to make people stand up and listen. These are challenging verses, but they're very practical ones to seek to live out this way. But then Peter talks about, oh no, let me just say this first. He also says, be zealous for good. That's more, sim that's more than simply being good. Peter doesn't say just do good things, try and seek after good. He says, be zealous for good. Strive for it, be passionate for it, seek to live it out. Not, you know, if, that, if that's our default position, that we are, um, we are those who are seeking the good of one another, that we are those who are seeking after good, 
we will see in a couple of moments when, when we kind of come up against opposition, but that, that's the default position for the Christian community. Peter says, consider your responses to opposition. Something that we grow into in the next section, but not evil for evil, not like for like. Instead, bless those who oppose you. A community that is seeking to do good, that it would even bless those who would stand in opposition. Now, friends, these are familiar verses. We, um, we're doing a life group at the moment on the Sermon on the Mount, which is just wonderful. Uh, you've missed out if you're not in that, uh, in that group. There's just some excellent people that we're able to uh, kind of share their, their thoughts on what are fairly familiar verses for lots of us in Matthew 5 and 6 and onwards. But, but really, really great stuff that we're uh, chatting about. And uh, this came up last week where um, we've looked at the fact that Jesus is really hugely provoking a kind of heart reaction when he says, you know, actually when people, when people insult you, when they slap you on the cheek, offer the other one. You know, when people react like that towards you, when, when, when you have enemies, love them. You know, don't, don't consider yourself neutral towards them, love them. You know, when somebody slaps you, don't just walk away, no, offer the other cheek. And we talked about the fact that whether Jesus is saying, you know, whether you do that uh, physically, or, but, but what he's definitely saying is that your heart, your heart should be in such a place where you seek good, where you seek to go beyond just the expected, where you're living in such a way that is so countercultural that it stands up to those around us. Friends, I think even in this uh, short section at the beginning of these verses, a community that lives out this way is something quite remarkable. Verse 8 speaks loudly, doesn't it? Verse 8 speaks so loudly in our fallen world. I think one of the things that we've also seen as we've looked at the Sermon on the Mount, that these things are impossible without the Spirit at work within us. You know, we sometimes look at them and think, gosh, how could we ever achieve those things? Well, that, that, that's a good response because ultimately we can't. We need his spirit at work amongst us to, to help us as a church family to live this out. So I was just thinking, you know, these are, as I've said, huge statements, massive things to consider. And yet I think there are subtle responses within them. I think there's a lot of things that happen amongst us that we probably take for granted and don't consider like this. And uh, I could think of quite a few, but just for time's sake, I, I was thinking Susanna uh, mentioned to me that she was talking to some, uh, a mum who's not part of a, a church, and, and she said, well, look, you've just had a baby. I could do some meals for you if you'd like. And she was like, gosh, why would you do that? That's a really bizarre thing to offer. And Susanna and I were just chatting, and we were like, well, that, that's a really common thing, a really common thing that kind of happens fairly automatically within church family. That's just a case of brotherly, sisterly love, isn't it? A way of expressing, actually, I can help you in this. I, I can do something for you here. That's a really subtle thing, but it highlights, I think, some of the massive statements that Peter's making. And sometimes we can get lost in that, kind of get lost in, well, oh gosh, a church that looks like this, wow, that must be a wonderful place to be. But friends, I think if we just take a look around us and see the things that God is doing amongst us and seek to be deliberate in those things. We see wonderful evidence of that, verse 8. So hopefully that's kicked us off, uh, but I want to take us a bit further, and Peter does, in verse uh, 14 onwards. So let me read this. 
But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honour Christ, the Lord, as holy. Always be prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks for a reason for that hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behaviour in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Let's just pause there for a moment. Peter's taken this, uh, this idea a little bit further, this whole idea of suffering uh, for righteousness. A theme that, uh, like I said, continues in the letter, but we've picked it up a little bit here, and so I just want to talk into it a little bit. Firstly, it's important to see that Peter is not talking about suffering generally. I think sometimes we can read these verses and think, well, you know, life isn't really going the way I want it to. There's a number of things happening and, and, I, and I'm suffering. And, and we can read it in light of that. But that's not actually what Peter's saying. Uh, the Bible does uh, really speak into suffering clearly. You know, we have a saviour who it says is acquainted with our suffering. He, he, he knows. Uh, and, he, and he walks alongside us in that. And he cares for us in that. He's merciful and gracious to us in that. Uh, the Bible gives you know, a lot about suffering. But here, Peter is talking about a very specific type of suffering. He talks about suffering for righteousness. Suffering for, uh, for being associated with, for following Jesus. That's, that's what this is about now. And uh, Peter is talking, obviously, to a, a group of individuals. This letter would have landed to a number of churches, a number of different contexts where they would have been experiencing considerable violent persecution, like considerable stuff we read in the book of Acts. We can see that uh, by the time that this letter is written, by the time it's landing in different churches, that they, would, they would know this. Real, real opposition. And so I think I've, I've battled with this a little bit, thinking, you know, this is what Peter's talking about, and yet this is for all of us. That's what we said at the beginning. And yet we're relatively comfortable, many of us. I think if we were to be looking at these verses in different contexts, even in our uh, day-to-day in different countries, that they would say, well, actually, persecution is much more obvious. But then I felt really challenged about this, that, that this isn't uh, something for us to switch off from. You know, as I've talked even this morning, there'll be many of us in this room that will say, you know, actually, I get it. I understand. I've experienced that even this week, where... I've been seeking to live out a godly life where I've been seeking to, to do the things that God has called me to and I've experienced opposition, where I've experienced people that would slander me, where I've experienced people that would uh, be, be confrontational with me and uh, speak down of me and those kind of things. There'll be many uh, in this room who will have made significant uh, decisions to seek to live after Jesus and will have experienced loss. Now, this is all uh, persecution that Peter uh, is talking about and wants us to recognise, to consider the challenges that are being faced. I guess if nothing else, I just wanted to make sure that we didn't assume that this wasn't for us. Peter's saying that we should expect this. We should be prepared for this. We should not be oblivious to the form of persecution that we experience We don't necessarily have violent opposition, thank God. But that doesn't mean that these verses aren't for us. Let me explain that a bit more. Jesus said in John 15, verse 18 onwards, he said, If the world hates you, know that it hated me 
before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than its master. If they persecuted me, they are also going to persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. In Timothy, Paul writes uh, in 2 Timothy, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All who desire to live a godly life. Friends, I don't know about you, but I feel really challenged by this. All who desire to seek after God, all who are are seeking to to just uh, live after the things that he's called us to, that we've been talking about further in, in this series. Now Peter's getting to the point where he says, look, you're going to experience persecution. You're going to experience opposition. And he wants to equip us. He wants us to be aware of that, but also know how to handle that, how to address that. And uh, we'll look at that a little bit more. Verse 16 says, When you're slandered, when your good behaviour is reviled, it's insulted, it's abused. You know, it's kind of an, an accepted thing that this is going to happen. Why? Because Jesus said it would. Jesus has said that. Another shout out to the Sermon on the Mount, but I, I think this is so clear. Jesus said, blessed are you when you're persecuted. Chapter 5, verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, this is everywhere. This is a, this is a major theme of the New Testament, major theme. And yet I think sometimes we can be uh, a little bit, not oblivious to it, but, but it's not as in our face as it is for others. And so Jesus says these things. Blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The suffering that Jesus is talking about, and Peter does too, is overshadowed. It's diluted by this wonderful promise of blessing. This wonderful promise. So blessed are you, Jesus says, Yours is the kingdom of heaven. There's two Beatitudes that he mentions that too, both the poor in spirit and those who are persecuted for righteousness. He says, yours is the kingdom of heaven. There's nothing that's withheld for you. There's nothing that is not yours. That's the blessing that you have. You've inherited an unshakable, unsnatchable promise. Blessed are you. And Peter wants us to know that suffering... From opposition is expected, but also that we can know blessing in the midst of it. Not to be knocked off course, but to know uh, his blessing. So like I said before, this, there's a way in which Peter wants us to respond. And, and I said right at the beginning, I think this is really practical, and hopefully this will help a little bit um, to, uh, for some of us. Verse 15, be ready, be prepared. There's a, a question to answer. The, the, the words that Peter's using here is um, to make a defence. It's like to, to, to make an apology. It's the word that we would get apologetics from. And uh, a number of people in this room probably really love all that kind of stuff. Give me a little wave if you, if you love apologetics, where you love answering those, those tough questions. A couple of waves. A couple of waves. I wasn't going to ask you a tough question. It wasn't like... There was a, like a, a timid... Uh, wave. But, but there's this stuff, isn't there, where, you know, you, I love it too. I love, you know, the idea of being able to, 
to look into difficult subjects and being able to try and answer them from, uh, from these things. And I think, uh, you know, many of us enjoy that. Some excellent resources around for that. Lots of people that we can speak to. But I think it's very clear here that Peter is talking about using words. He is talking about having a reply. We've spoken quite a bit in this letter about the way our conduct would save people, the way in which we live, the way in which we should respond. But I think here Peter is saying, have a defence, have something to say. And it's really hard if you're thinking, gosh, well, I can't answer some of those massive questions that people might have. You know, like, I can't do it as well as other people, all those kind of things. But I think there's a real clarity that Peter gives us in verse 15. He says, be ready to answer for the hope that you have. Be ready to answer for the hope that you have. If you're living with hope, be ready to talk about that hope. Be ready to say, gosh, you know, I don't actually know the answers to all the questions that you have, but I do have a hope, and my hope is rooted in this. This is my hope. Peter, I think, has made this really clear for us, really practical. Friends, it's, it's, it's a case of saying, gosh, when, when you're called to bring a defence, defend the hope that you have. And we'll explore where our hope is grounded and all those things in a moment. But the, defend the hope that you have. People will notice hope. People will see that hope stands out. You know, that, I think that's probably one of the things that, that is so obvious in our day. People have no hope. They live without hope. Or they put their trust in things that let them down. They put their hope in things that just, just wear away over time. They think, oh gosh, I thought this was the thing, but it's not. That's, that's the argument, isn't it, in our day? And yet, here Peter's saying really clearly, friends, no, just be ready to defend the hope that you have. You have a hope that won't perish. You have a hope that won't fade. Talk about that. Defend that. He does say, though, that there is a, the way in which these conversations happen matters. He says, do so with gentleness and respect. Again, really, really practical. Don't ram stuff down people's throats. Don't be overly confrontational. Be gentle and respectful with people. Really, really practical stuff, isn't it? But it's wonderful. Peter's saying, like, this is the way in which we approach this. That you're going to be experiencing opposition. You know, we want you to live like this, to be those who are seeking after good, all those wonderful things. Uh, you're, going to, you're going to shine like a light in the darkness and people are going to say to you, what is the hope that you have? And when they do, reply with gentleness and respect. Be those kind of people. It matters the way in which you engage in these conversations. But Peter also encourages us to be bold, to be those who live with no fear, those who are not put off by the thousand things that could get in the way of us being able to reply uh, to these questions. Have no fear. And I think this is quite an interesting one. I think, I think of Peter's own experience, but now emboldened by the Spirit. He says, no, no, we, we want to be those who have no fear. Monday morning, turn up at work. First question, I want to be those who have no fear those who speak freely. So how can we do that? Well, again, I think he helps us here. Verse 15, honour Christ as Lord, as holy. Remember the kingship of Jesus, the one who is ruling and reigning. Be convinced of this, that kind of sense of the inward confidence that Jesus has for us. Take confidence in that. Be reassured of that. We kind of get recalibrated, don't we? We come on a Sunday and we sing these wonderful songs. Inward reverence for Jesus. 
It confirms this point for us. It points us to Jesus. And then we have the final uh, section. And then we'll take communion together before we finish off. But I think this very much flows. Uh, Peter helps us to see the, the hope in which we have and the reason for this confidence, the reason that we can be bold, the reason that we can take steps and, and uh, speak in this way. Verse 18 onwards, he says this, For Christ also suffered, once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities and powers, having been subjected to him. A lot in there. A lot in there. There's, we're going to talk about baptism, Noah, Jesus' suffering, a lot in those final verses. But I think this wonderfully culminates this section and brings about the fact that, that we can have a hope that is unshakable. Firstly, Peter says, Christ suffered. Our Saviour suffered. He knows. And through his suffering, we have been brought close to God. Those who were far away have been brought near because of his suffering. That which separated us from God, the judgment that we have earned ourselves was laid on him. He suffered that we might know God. The righteous, the blameless, the innocent, suffering in the place of the unrighteous, the guilty, us. This is, this is huge, isn't it? Peter points us back to the cross and says this is the basis of our hope. He was put to death. But he's not now dead. He is now reigning, sat in victory. All things are subject to him. The final verse in this passage, Peter shows us that all things are subject to the kingship of Jesus. That's why he can say, have no fear. Nothing is beyond that. No suffering, no earthly power, no influence are all subject to him. We have a suffering Saviour. Let me just say verse 19 is just a quite confusing verse. There's a lot that's been written about this verse. It's a really difficult one to deal with. The concordance that I was looking at a couple of weeks ago has a whole appendix on this one verse. But I think for us this morning, there's a lot that we could say about it. I think in the flow that Peter is talking, it's quite clear that Peter's saying, look, Jesus was physically dead He's now alive and he has proclaimed that uh, victory. He has proclaimed that both physically to those in whom he uh, spoke to in person, but also in the spiritual realm. He has, he has triumphed over uh, all things, including those uh, physical and those spiritual things. All authority is under him. All things are subject to him. He's declared that victory in spiritual places, a suffering Saviour, who has won salvation for us. And then we finish off uh, with this analogy of, of Noah and baptism. 
Now, this is a really helpful one. I think many of us, or probably all of us, will know the story of Noah, uh, the story of, of Noah and the ark. And uh, Peter basically just points to the fact that this is a, an echo of the gospel. Noah believed God. He believed what God said. He trusted in him. He built a boat. He faced ridicule, but he trusted God. And Peter uses that story and likens this to our own baptism. It says Noah and his family escaped judgment. They were not plucked out of it, but they escaped judgment in a boat. Uh, the waters, uh, God's judgment came in the floods. And so they, they were looking at the judgment all around them. They could see that so evidently when the rains and, and, and the flood, but they escaped that by being in the ark. They trusted God in that and they escaped by being in the ark. And baptism in water, Peter says, now symbolises something for us. It's not about the cleansing or the removal of dirt, uh, which we'll, we will talk about, or Phil will talk about, uh, for those who are exploring baptism. That's not what baptism is about. It's not about being made clean because you're getting a wash when you go in the water. Peter says, no, 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 it's not like that. It's about escaping judgment by being in something else. It demonstrates in the same way that Noah trusted in God and built an ark. When we say we want to be baptised, when, uh, when we commit ourselves to that, we're saying that our lives are hidden in Christ, that he is our only hope for rescue, that there's floodwaters all around us, judgment is upon us, and yet our only way of salvation is by climbing into Jesus. The baptism, when we get baptised, we say that my life is hidden in Christ. Hidden in Christ, says that I'm, I'm dead uh, with him and I'm also raised with him and ascended with him one day in heaven. That's what baptism is saying. It's like, this is, this is what God has already done in my life and, I, and it's a physical representation of that. And Peter is kind of drawing those comparisons and saying, friends, the hope that you have is this. There is judgment all around you. The flood waters are rising. But for us, we climb into Jesus like an ark. He is our ark. He is our boat that has brought rescue to us. He is our only hope in the same way as that was for Noah and his family. That, that, that that's what we declare in baptism. We say, my life is in him. My life is in him as my only rescue. He is my ark. So friends, when you are uh, ex experiencing opposition, when you are uh, facing ridicule, when you're being uh, confronted in the various different ways that we've already talked about, we can have hope because we have one who has gone before us, one who has won a victory over sin and death, one who suffered, one who suffered. And, he, and our lives are now in him. So we suffer, yeah, we do, we suffer in him. But we will one day be raised with him in his victory because we have put all of our hope and our trust in him as our boat to save us through the flood of judgment. Friends, it feels like an appropriate time maybe to respond in communion if the band want to come up. I said at the beginning these are really practical verses and I, I, I would hope that there'll be something that Peter has kind of said here that would ring true for us, where we say, gosh, you know, actually whether it's about living in a different way or, or whether it's about just being more aware of some of the challenges around us. But I want to finish off really just by 
pointing our focus back to Jesus as Peter has done. And then we're going to spend some time worshipping. We're going to take communion in a moment. Hopefully you've got some, uh, something to do that with. If not, the stewards will be around in a moment and they can uh, offer you something. And then we're going to sing some more worship. But friends, I think it's, it's right to finish like this. When we take communion, we declare afresh the victory that Jesus has won for us. We declare his body broken, his blood shed, that we might have hope. And our only hope is in him. Jesus said, do this and remember me. Do this and remember me. And what we remember is that this physical Jesus came, suffered, died, and is now ruling and reigning in heaven. And one day we will be with him. He said, friends, if you believe that, then take this. When you're gathered together, take this and remember me. And so I want to invite us to do that before we continue to worship. I'll maybe pray as we finish off. Father, we thank you that we can have a hope in you, a hope that doesn't budge, a hope that doesn't uh, fall down under pressure, but one that is built in the completed work of your son, one that is, uh, <laughs> that is so astounding in the way in which you've won it, and yet we, we get to be those who are recipients of such wonderful promise through the hope that we have in you. Father, I pray that you'd help us uh, in today and the coming days to be those who really live out your hope, the hope that we have in you. Be those who are ready and prepared to speak of that hope, to demonstrate that hope, those who uh, reflect that. I pray for this in your precious name. Amen.